How can we build a sustainable future without fossil fuels? In four episodes, we cover everything from the US shale boom to renewables and energy security, with the rising China and its effects on the global energy markets. In the previous episodes, we addressed the hot topic of the Strait of Hormuz and Iran's increased importance for the energy markets. And today, we address another hot topic, the rising China and increased energy demand in the Asia-Pacific. This is The Evolution Show. Welcome to The Evolution Show. I'm your host, Johan Landgren. The Evolution Show is all about connecting the dots to see the bigger picture and address some of the biggest challenges and opportunities of our time. We focus on smart energy solutions, electric transports, artificial intelligence, AI, climate, and of course, inspiration for sustainable living. And today we continue our global energy trend series. In the previous episode, we talked about energy security with a focus on the Strait of Hormuz and Iran's increased importance for the energy markets. And today we address another hot topic, the lithium market and renewables. And to help me, I've invited a real energy expert, Mikael Höck. To learn more about Mikael, look in the descriptions or in the previous episodes. Join us for the third part of our global energy trend series. Old King Coal, yes. <laughs> as we call yes. it. <laughs> so what's the trends there? Yeah, I would say that uh, co coal is really interesting uh, since uh, essentially the very rapid growth of the Chinese economy. Coal was uh, pre pretty stable as we can see from about 2080 to around year 2000 but then we see a very significant increase of coal and that is primarily China and at the peak here China accounted for nearly 50% of all the global output of coal and this is just one single country mining 50% of the coal in the world. Mm. And we see that other countries like European Union and uh, North America and so on, they have been diminishing uh, their coal output for quite a long time. Uh, so it's uh, mostly Asia Pacific countries that embrace the only fossil fuel that they have very significant volumes on uh, of available in their own countries and then they go for coal. Mm. And uh, if we for instance see uh, at the European Union, the green area here. We see that uh, coal mining and coal production in, in European Union has been diminishing since uh, late 1980s. Uh, but uh, all, the, all the decreases we managed to achieve last year, it was compensated four times over by uh, India and their increased coal mining. Mm. So uh, essentially the coal consumption is moving much more towards Asia Pacific. So what we do with coal in, in Europe do not really matter very, very much on a global level. It's mostly about what China will do. And they are by far the most important actor when it comes to determining the future of, of coal globally. Yeah, uh, we'll come back to China. I thought we could yeah. uh, talk a little bit more about China soon. Uh, they, they are, I mean, the key player, obviously, yeah. in the yeah. world yeah. when it comes to energy consumption. Yeah. And here is just the point I just uh, made with uh, coal consumption in both the entire Europe and India. And we see that India is now consuming more coal than entire Europe. Mm. So uh, a lot of the increases and in the drivers in coal consumption is actually at the moment India. If, uh, if we look at China, they reached something like a plateau in 2011 and they had a small dip 
uh, when the Chinese economy was staggering a bit, but now they are recovered at there. Uh, so it could be somewhat of an undulating plateau in Chinese coal production and the widespread uh, problems with air pollution is quite well known and many Chinese decision makers is trying to reduce the Chinese decision, uh, dependence on, on coal because it is uh, creating a lot of air quality problems. Yeah. But uh, the engine between the growth of, of uh, global coal, it is India and Indonesia. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to the emissions. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, with the emissions, we of course know that they are by far dominated by, by fossil fuels. And we see, for instance, all the king coal in the bottom uh, has been increasing quite a lot, and especially the very significant increase in China when China took up the role as a world factory and started to make all these made in China products. And of course, all of that was powered by Chinese coal. Yeah, and I think it's good to mention here that you said that. Uh, uh, you see the increase uh, coming more from India now in, yeah. in coal consumption. Yeah. And it's also, you can see that in terms of labor, uh, you have a growing middle class in yeah. China. Uh, so um, the price for labor uh, is increasing. So yeah. you don't see made in China everywhere now. It's no. You can see made mm. in India more yeah. and more now yeah. because because there you have um, cheaper labor in yep. relative to China. Yeah, and you can also see the same trends in China that they used to mine their own coal, but China in around 2010, from being one of the world's largest coal exporters, in just a few years they became the world's largest coal importer because they realized that it was cheaper to import coal from Indonesia or Australia than it is to mine it in their own country. Mm. And it would also mean that environmental problems tend to stay in other countries, yeah. which is also improving the local um, environmental situations in, in China, mm. which made it attractive for that reason as well. Yeah, maybe we can move on to talk a little bit about China well, yeah. when we're talking about it. Uh, I mean, sh uh, on the one hand, they're increasing their coal and oil consumption, and especially natural gas. But they're also in the lead in terms of electrification yeah. and they're addressing their local emissions and they are trying to, yeah. to make a big difference there. Yeah. Um, I think it was 25% uh, increase in uh, renewables alone, uh, taking 25% of the whole yeah. uh, increase in the world. Yeah. Uh, and in the city of Shenzhen, which is like 12 million mm. people, uh, they have gone completely f f to, I mean, fossil free in terms of transports. They are, mm. They have um, uh, 16,000 electric buses, and uh, so they replace diesel buses. Mm. Uh, and they also, and that was because of the local emissions. They mm. ne they needed to do something. Yeah. Uh, and this was a um, fishing, uh, small fishing village or village, but town mm. only in the 70s. Uh, mm. So they have, I mean, the the growth of population has been incredible. Uh, and they uh, they read something that they had 20. They're working on having 22 million taxis, mm. electric, fully mm. electric taxis. So they, they have an incentive to make a change. But in India, they, they're still working. I mean, they have a different political um, mm. situation. So it's harder to make uh, fast decisions in terms of electrification and so on. Mm. But China is interesting. They have on the other, other hand, on the one side, you have all, you know, the old fossil dependence. And at the same time, you have the electrification, you have the solar energy. Yeah investment how, how how do you think what can we learn from china both the good and the bad do you think well i would say that uh, probably the, the biggest advantage of china is that they they have a quite clear vision about what they want to achieve and then the decision makers will move their entire society in that direction and uh, based on their huge economy as well they actually manage to scale up things quite 
rapidly and, and reap many of the benefits they have prepared themselves uh, for. So uh, if you look at, for instance, investments in green and clean energy, something like 40% of all of them are, are being done in China. They build record numbers of windmills, they build record numbers of PV and so on. So they are really huge investment in investors in all forms of energy. And then, of course, the bad side is also that, for instance, about half of all the world subsidies to coal is located in China. So they both do really good things, but they also uh, uh, tend to be quite stuck in a very significant fossil fuel dependence because they generate a lot of their income by exporting stuff to other countries. And and many people work in the export industry and then in order to peep, keep, keep people employed and maintain the economic growth, they need to maintain that world factory role that they have taken and so on. So they are more or less caught between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. And they, of course, and then of, they are exporting a lot of solar technologies yeah. so, so we can have it in, uh, cheaper and more accessible in Europe, for example, yeah. but also yeah. competing with the German production. So they will have a problem there. So they yeah, definitely. And part of the major investment they have done in recent years is that essentially demand for green energy has been quite weak in Europe. And then they want to use their factories, so they mass produce. They continue to mass produce PV cells, but they just install them in China mm. uh, because they can't really sell them anywhere else. No, they're they're fearing is in what's called a yeah. price dump here in, yeah. in, in Europe. Yeah, and uh, and I would say that uh, China probably realized that <laughs> they arrived too late to the fossil fuel party, but they are definitely very keen on being a very important player in the green energy or the new energy markets that will arise in the future and this is why they are being very progressive and trying to be essentially in the front lines of electrification, renewable energy or uh, energy efficient homes and many other things. They are essentially trying to embrace all forms of new energy sources in order to reduce their dependency on coal that they have. Mm. And I would say that they probably realized that placing all eggs in one, one basket is not a good thing. And now they're trying to yeah. get away from that situation by working very hard. Yeah, yeah, they, they're working with diversification, as they call oh, it, yeah. uh, quite a lot. Uh, but what about, uh, we mentioned the shale oil. Can, can we expect something like a small kind of uh, shale oil boom in China or is it the more difficult they don't have the infrastructure and so on and they're working towards renewables more yeah. what do you think i would say that they're probably investing as much uh, as they do in renewables as they do in shale and they have a few sites i have uh, some collaborations at china university of petroleum that is doing similar research and, and they have a few regions where where they have promising shales and they are trying to uh, demonstrate commercial feasibility and so on uh, for them. So they are definitely trying to achieve a shale boom of their own in China. But uh, this far they haven't really been as successful as in the US. But they are still on the first steps of their learning curve. Yeah. Yeah, okay, let's move on. And, uh, we have talked about yeah, emissions over time, but we can just, uh, before we yeah. end with China, do, do you think um, What's happening in China, if we uh, uh, extrapolate into the future, mm. do you think that um, the current trend uh, will be exponential so that we can see that we'll have an um, increased uh, increased investment in renewables uh, contra, um, you know, a still growing fossil fuel uh, mm. consumption, but it will be, you know, 
the gap will widen so we could perhaps see you know um, the benefits of mm -hmm. the renewables or is that not realistic to see in let's say 10 years or something I would say that in, in 10 years they will probably continue to have something like an exponential growth in energy demand and what particular energy sources they choose to embrace will be very dependent on, on prices and market mechanisms and so on and probably also on the directions that the government has laid out and uh, I would say that everything that improves air quality is uh, is likely being very much pushed by the government at the moment. So electric vehicles and increased electrification of transportation in cities is, is probably a um, very hot potato in, in China in the near future. Yeah. Yeah, here you have the distribution of yeah. income in energy. Yeah, and this is uh, a graph from uh, uh, IEA uh, Energy Access Outlooks where we can see uh, a very interesting pattern that happens when people start to improve their income levels. When people belong to typically low income groups, they use very little energy and most of the energy they use is typically connected to heating of your home as well as household cooking. But as soon as people uh, move to lower middle classes or upper middle classes, uh, they will start to use a lot more energy. So income and energy consumption patterns are, are very much connected. And what we see now in major part of the world is that more and more people, 100 millions of people in Asia are joining the world uh, middle class. And this means that their energy demand will go up and it will go up very significantly. Mm. And this is essentially also the reason why so much of the energy demand is being pushed towards Asia. Mm. Here we talk about outsourcing of emissions. Yeah, and this is uh, also another thing connected to global emissions. And uh, we have seen it partly here in the uh, US and we have seen it in, in uh, the West where factories or manufacturing has moved to countries with cheaper labor and uh, this has also mean that more and more of the emissions will be uh, captured in international trade so we are essentially outsourcing our emissions to developing countries but then we import stuff that they make in our own countries and enjoy the good life mm. that those uh, products brings and this is of course something that will uh, be reflected very differently if we use just territorial emissions the total amount of greenhouse gases that is being generated within the borders of one country or if we use something more like a consumption-based measure of uh, emissions where we also include all the emissions being caused by stuff we import. Mm. So for instance if Swedes are consuming a lot of Chinese steel or other Chinese products that are being made with Chinese coal, our emissions in Sweden will be much higher because we are essentially outsourcing part of our emission burden to another country and will be partly uh, rely uh, partly uh, responsible for uh, some of the Chinese emissions and uh, and it is also important to to remember yeah according to World Wildlife Foundation uh, they look at the different um, planetary footprint different yeah. countries have and at the recent number I think is 4.2 or 4.3 mm. planets yeah. uh, that Sweden Sweden uh, uh, Sweden's <coughs> population or per capita consumption is on an yep. annual basis, which is uh, <coughs> crazy. Uh, yep. But that's that's related to what you said. Obviously, that we yeah. are consuming, we're exporting th stuff and importing, yeah. yeah, emissions. And I would say that the greatest shortfall of so much of the current debate about environment uh, and emissions is 
connected to this oversimplification of the situation where people just talk about territorial emissions or emissions mm. we have in Sweden. So much of essentially all supply chains we have is transnational. Mm. So we, for instance, if we want to eat tacos in Sweden, we typically import avocados from New Zealand and then we eat a lot of stuff that has been grown in other parts of the world and everything is being transported here to Sweden. And um, I would say that we really need to understand that emissions in Sweden is being dependent and uh, also affected by energy systems in a lot of other countries. And it's really important to mind the full transnational life cycle pictures of all the supply chains. And mm. if we want to have a sustainable economy in Sweden, we should not really base it on importing uh, unsustainably produced raw materials that we consume or upgrade here in Sweden. So yeah. it's important to and, and be clear that we are no you know, no angels in the room, no. so to speak. We we have yeah, we are working with sustainable transport. We have mm. a, a lot of rail and so we have uh, let's say if we if we include nuclear we have eighty percent um, you know hydro and, and uh, together with uh, the nuclear and we can ca call that sustainable and then we have 10% wind or something yeah. like that so so we, we have um, a unique situation here in Sweden uh, in that yeah. sense but yeah but but also it is also important to remember the industrial capacity questions even mm. if we for instance look at PV cells and promote them being installed on houses in Sweden but one reason that they are so enormously cheap for investors here is that they're being produced in a Chinese mega factory. And then the question about uh, are, are they really small scale energy solutions here in Sweden or are they connected to the very large scale industrial mega complexes on another side of the planet? Yeah, and it's always dependent on the, what kind of life cycle as yeah. you do and yeah. and obviously what you're substituting in, in yeah. different markets. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it's an important uh, point to make. Uh, and also, be, I think just the, the conclusion here maybe is that we have to be clear on uh, the numbers when we are describing something as sustainable. Yeah. In what kind of perspective, in what market are we talking? Mm. Uh, because it's very different. Yeah, and I would say that... Uh, Currently, there is a lot of sustainable babble at this is being known where people typically talk about things being sustainable or green and it is usually some kind of unquantifiable uh, environmental advantage for some reason. But we really need more numbers and we need to look more at numbers and be clear with definitions, system borders and so on, because everyone are usually interested in making the world better. but. Sadly, everyone is using very different definitions of what they mean with better and they measure it in very different ways. So uh, the situation can be very easily confusing. Yeah. If you enjoyed this conversation, feel free to continue the conversation in the comments below. On Monday, we continue our global energy trend series to talk about lithium and the growing importance of the renewables. If you want to see the videos as soon as they come out, consider subscribing. As always, we appreciate your feedback. Was it good or bad? I hope to see you on Monday for the next episode.